Hi, my name is Elijah, and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. This week, my special guest is John Robb. John is a hugely influential figure on the UK alternative music scene. As frontman, bassist and writer in seminal post-punk band The Membranes, but also as a writer and author. He also runs his website Louder Than War, which showcases and highlights and champions the best in alternative UK and global music. He's just written a new book, The Art of Darkness, which focuses and explores the goth music scene in the UK. He's also a broadcaster, I'm sure you've probably seen him talking about music on TV. We speak about the impact of punk on creativity and songwriting, what songwriting is like within the band context, John's interest in the quantum mechanic world and science in the universe, how important it is to be true to yourself as a songwriter, we look at Manchester and its impact on the UK music scene, and then we have a talk about his book, The Art of Darkness. So please subscribe to this podcast, follow, like, share, check out John Robb's social media, and check out his music in the membranes, and find yourself a copy of his book, The Art of Darkness. Thanks for being here. My guest today on Songwriting for Songwriters is John Robb. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, John, for being here. And just before we start the podcast, mate, we get into it. I just wanted to say a thank you, really, for um, a few things, really. Like, firstly, for your book on the Stone Roses, which I devoured as a kid and um, absolutely love reading that. But also, um, thanks for your for you know running Louder Than War, the website, which um, showcases and highlights great music, which you can't really find anywhere else. Um, you know, and thank you for the sort of time the uh, website have given my band the gravity drive but more than that i'd just like to say uh you know you're someone who um through your posting about your work and what you're doing you've always been someone i've looked to as a figure of kind of independence and sort of true spirit really in the music scene uh you like nikki wire you're people that remind me to kind of stay focused on what it is to be an artist and and to release music and to not give up and to make sure that my focus is about making music for the right, right reasons really and although our music is not at all punk um you know the diy independent sort of punk spirit is is the thing that fuels um our kind of energy behind the band so i just really wanted to thank you for for that well, well that's cool i mean a lot of those things i think when you talk about punk it doesn't actually have to be a style of music does it it's just it is an idea and it's probably not even exclusive to punk either you know but at least that was a flag way for uh, the right way of doing creativity. Well, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way either, is there? You know, some people actually do do it as a career, fair play to them. But, you know, there should always be a space for the artful outsider. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at the UK music scene, the mainstream music, which we've come to love, a lot of that has come about from outsider figures, hasn't it? It's uh, important to showcase and support um, bands. Uh, you know, if you look at Radiohead or... Um, prodigy or or the verve you know just to name bands that i grew up with those or nirvana those figures were like outsider figures that you know crossed over into the mainstream and because they got support so i think it's vital that louder than war places like that support um outsider figures and alternative music yeah i think because it, it always colors it and flavors it doesn't it so and it, it could be at high ebbs and low ebbs as well kind of you know there's, there's some periods where you know, the, the accountants are completely in control and nothing getting at all. And there's sometimes when the biggest groups in the world can actually be the most artful groups. I mean, like, like you know, like the Beatles, say, in the 60s, you know, when, when they actually were 
he actually had an art school band that was the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Uh, and the moment is a bit more blurred than that, but it's still plenty of space to exist, isn't there? You know, it's it's we just we're just not part of the mainstream, are we? You know, we, we don't really, the mainstream is a completely different world now, isn't it? In, in not just music, you know, lots of different facets of modern culture. But that doesn't stop loads and loads of people doing really, really cool stuff on Absolutely. the outside. Yeah, I agree. It's uh it's a strange time to live in. I, th- I mean, for my money, I think the X Factor and the kind of reality TV sort of generation, that really sort of, in a way, put a big barricade up from the outside and making it into the mainstream. I think that was the, that was the turning point in my mind where things sort of changed. In a, in a sense, yeah. But, but then in the early 70s, there was New Faces, which was actually bigger. Yeah, New Faces had about 20 million viewers, didn't it? And, it, and you saw a great pop. I, I, I don't think it's um, an either-or. I think there's always, you know, there's lots of different battles going on all at the same time, isn't there? Sure, sure. Okay, well, listen, John. As a, as a music fan and as a writer and uh, and a you know, a um, performer yourself, I'm really interested to know as as you know, as a music fan first and foremost, what for you makes a great song? Well, I think it's impossible to de- to define. You always get this thing, don't you, when people. You know, a lot of curmudgeonly older blokes, and it's always blokes. You know, if you put a new band up on, on the side, they always go, they're not proper songs, they're not real songs, you know, not like back in my day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when punk, when we had proper songs, go, I don't think you really listen to punk, you know, because a lot of that wasn't so-called inverted commas proper song. There's no such thing as a proper song. I mean, it can, it can affect you in so many different ways. It could be classic verse, chorus, middle eight, all put together, crafted piece of you know, uh, perfect pop craftship, you know, or it could just be a sound. It could it could just be a one-note drone for three minutes without any melody at all, but the sound and the texture of it could draw you in. And I think, isn't that the eternal mystery of music, that there is actually no definable perfect piece of music? They can affect you, you know, in most the most trashy piece of pop could affect you as much as the uh, most crafted piece of uh, classical Absolutely. Or you know, or you know, so, so there is. I think they find I find it very indefinable. Also, I find it changes every day, it moves around a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a band. You're in a band. Okay, so like in in the sense of the traditional songwriter who you know, like kind of I don't know the '70s idea of a sort of solo singer songwriter. You and me don't sort of fit into that because we're in bands, which is a different process. You know, songwriting in a band is a different thing. How does it work with you and the bands? Are you kind of the main writer or creative fire starter? Or is it a, is it a kind of uh, much more collaborative uh, process? I think, I think, yeah, I suppose mostly I'll, I'll probably spark it into being, but everyone else does their things in it and takes it somewhere else. So it's um, I don't think there's a formula, a hit formula. <laughs> but mm. I think I think I find music. If you actually take it back one step before that, I mean, you can hear you can hear bits of music in your head, can't you? Or you know, if you're not getting sidetracked by doing loads of other stuff, and if you're just there, uh, you know, just like walking down a street or something, music will come into your head. Mm-hmm. Or if you pick up an instrument and start playing it, you'll find uh, things that sound interesting. You know, like either a chord change or just going up and down one note on on the neck, you'll think, oh. Uh, you'll find something that's kind of interesting it triggers loads of other ideas you know then you can hear other melodies or or, or moods you know it can be the mood of a, of a sound that sort of creates a song as well whereas you're not writing a song per se but you're actually creating something that creates an atmosphere 
or a mood which matches the lyrics. And sometimes you can have the lyrics first as well. So there's there's lots of different ways that things come together. And the collaborative process is really important because that's like a, you have a sketch and everyone paints it in different, completely different colours. You end up with a completely different painting, which I like as well. I don't think, you know, I think sometimes if it's just, you know, you get those records where one person plays all the instruments. Yeah, There's something about them that feels quite suffocated, not quite... It's yeah. not been allowed to breathe because it's not like other people involved, you know. And all those kind of bands where they had one or two songwriters in them, when they worked together, that's where the magic was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, your stuff, I mean, it sound, it's so it's such an exciting sound and such a cinematic sound. And it's it's like sometimes you hear that like glam rock in it. There's like theatrical kind of elements but it's, I mean, it's such a big, big kind of forensic sound, but it feels like it's very free as well. Like it could have just been played in the room at that moment in time. You know, there's a whole yeah. load of freedom to it, but very, very clever. I mean, almost like, it's almost like composed like classical music. Are you influenced by classical music at all? It's interesting you said all those things, because most people don't actually notice any of that at all. So that's okay. actually... <laughs> They are, they are pretty pretty well the what's going on there, you know. So it's uh, they they are meant to be cinematic, you know. They're meant to be make pictures in your head, and that's kind of a psychedelic thing because I always really like a lot of psychedelic music. I don't mean like cliched uh, paisley pattern psychedelia, but the idea that psychedelic music paints pictures in your imagination. So it's meant to do that, you know. You shut your eyes and it and it creates something in your head that's more than just a piece of music. And the theatricality of it was important as well, because I think a lot, a lot of it is kind of 3D, 360, you know, and it's meant to be like that. So if it's a song, you know, if if it's about a forest, it, you're meant to shut your eyes and it looks like a forest, but it feels like lots of other things as well at the same time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned glam rock, though, because I grew up with glam rock. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think most people think glam rock was just platform boots, but there's a theatricality about glam rock which is quite fascinating and, and an artfulness about, especially the uh, top end, you know, with, with like Bowie or whatever. Yeah. You know, there are songs that did make pictures. I mean, was that a 70s psychedelia without the uh, hallucinogenic drugs? Yeah. <laughs> it could well be, couldn't it? And um, yeah, so I think all those things are entangled. But I also like the live edge when something's recorded in a room with people playing together at the same time. Yeah. And, and, Sometimes we use clip tracks, but I try to avoid them because I like the ebb and flow of things yeah. to speed up and slow down. Yeah. You know, when people go into a chorus, they kind of it kind of tugs into the chorus because people get excited yeah. because it's a chorus, and I think actually that's quite good, isn't it? That everyone should get excited at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's like as you know, like there's that feeling in a band, and unless you've been in a band, you know, it's still for me the most exciting thing. You know, as a kid from 13 to now, it's still exciting to get in a room and play and to have those kind of, uh, to, you know, as a group, as a collective of people to kind of know where you're going, even though you don't talk about it. There's those things which happen, which are, it's a, a magical, you know, it's communication through music, nonverbal communication through music is an incredibly satisfying and exciting thing to to be involved with. Yeah, I, th I think that's the other thing about music, isn't it? it is actually an unspoken language, isn't it? It says the things that you can't say or can't articulate in lots of ways. I mean, even even because it, maybe nobody's invented the words yet that can say those things. You know, like uh, you, the Inuits have, don't they have like 200 words for snow, something, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, which is quite amazing, isn't it? 
and, and also like the idea that there's more than five senses and the you know we're, we're puny humans can only do five senses but you know like a bat has a sense with echolocation that has another sense and then yeah. this i was reading this about this in the day somewhere and there's like there's hundreds of different senses you know in the universe there's this whole thing you think i don't even understand what that is you know there's there's other ways of relating to your environments mm. that we just don't have, you know, like, so we, we could look at an amoeba and think that only reacts with electronic signals and that's its sense of sense. But, you know, a higher being will look at us and go, God, is, they only, is that all they've got? Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> so, but, but maybe music taps into ones that we we can't tap into, you know, because it is, it is a powerful thing, you know, you know, scientifically goes, you know, look at vibrations and, mm. That's kind of the base of what it is of sound. But then, then I got really into that thing two albums ago that the the hum of the universe, which one of the songs on the album, and the universe resonates in uh, the key of B minor, fourteen yeah. steps down. I thought, wow, what an amazing concept that is, yeah. and the idea of that eternal hum and the hum of meditation and the om, and that maybe the om is tuning into the universe, and maybe all great music somehow tunes into the universe. And that's what everybody tries to do in music, whether they're Mr. Blobby or Sono. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. And I'm someone who meditates daily. And uh, for me, you know, I hear a lot of music in my head, which is, you know, sort of seems to come from somewhere else. Like you've, you've just explained, you know, uh, it sort of finds like it's a kind of forming thing. that As I'm walking down the street, there's a piece of music playing and it sort of forms with orchestration or different things and i can never some you know those things i can't catch necessarily because they're just uh fleeting moments but you know you've spoken about experiencing that as well i was going to ask you about the process with um your your sorry your relationship with the muse do you believe in in the muse in as a form you know what is your relationship like with the kind of unquantifiable inspiration that you know it's easy to call the muse I like that Tom Waits idea that the songs are just floating around your head and you just have to pluck them out. I mean, but then maybe that goes back into that idea of the eternal arm of the universe and that you just sort of tune in and tune out of it. And if you're not too distracted, you can tune into it. And maybe it's your uh, interpretation of that, you know. And, and it does sound incredibly pretentious for something that's just pop music, but then pop yeah. music is a very high art form at the same I time, agree. isn't it? Yeah, as higher yeah. art form as say classical, whatever they're all, they're all just they're all bits of music. They could be as, um, I mean, the great maybe the greatest thing about pop music is is that anybody can tune in, you know, yeah. and it, it's 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 complex, but it's so simple that anybody can do it, and that's great because not anybody could be a sculptor or a great painter. You could you could sculpt or paint in a punk rock kind of way. You make your own things. Yeah. You know, in terms of music, you can actually make quite a sophisticated piece of music. Even if you've got very rudimentary skills, especially these days of technology. In fact, the only only skill you actually really need is your imagination and your yeah. instinct and surrendering, surrendering to the void. <laughs> Surrender to the yeah, that's it. Man. <laughs> you know, that is it. It's, it's and it's, you know something that I find as as a kind of my process through writing is the more I get out of the way. And the more, the less I sit down and try to write a song, which is kind of, you know, the ego included in that, like I'm going to write a song, the more I get out of the way and just zone out and play, then something will come, come into it. And it's, it's the, the tr song, songs that have had the kind of 
most impact with people's hearts are the ones where I've not in a way I've been not involved with it you know I've been kind of in that space between where you're just sort of I don't know channeling or just kind of letting your muse run run into things you know yeah I think it's really important I think also there's a sense of discipline as well in the you know it's um if you sit down for an hour and it's not very inspiring at some point something will happen yeah uh, you know you you'll tune into that place and also the other thing is that even an average idea if you return to it a year later could become a very good idea you know maybe maybe the door did open slightly but you didn't see it at that time you know so and to record most of the stuff you do document it i think is quite important because you you just go back go back to it at some point and then it starts to work and think part part of the process i mean it's it's quite hard. It's not hard work, but to get to that point in time where you get the idea is quite important. Yeah. But then also um, to finish the idea off, that's key as well, isn't it? But I think now because the technology is so much easier to do. I mean, in the old days, you'd have to go and find your tape recorder. <laughs> I think, oh no, I've got no cassettes and no cassette. But now you just get your phone out and go garage bands, and you can actually pretty well write a song. You know, with with a rough idea of all the other parts of it. You know, maybe. May maybe there's too much technology and there's less space for collaboration because, but there was, they were saying that, I was reading that the other day when there was a piece somewhere about that, you know, the death of bands, you know, there was less bands in the charts. I don't think they actually looked at the charts properly. They're just trying to make some kind of case, you know, that, you know, this is the era of the solo musician because you could do so much on your own. But then a lot of these people in the pop charts, you know, who are solo have teams of songwriters. So it's just a, just a different, configuration of a band and it's 20 yeah. people writing a song yeah. and then you look at the arm charts and it's full of bands anyway so I don't really know what they were going on about because the singles chart and the arms chart are almost like two completely different worlds now there's hardly any crossover between the two yeah I think there seems to be like an, an, an increase in bands actually because I mean I know I think I read that article but it's this it's quite refreshing at the moment it seems like I think probably post sort of lockdown you know, I think actually, what I've I've got an eighteen-year-old daughter, and she's a, a f- filmmaker and a writer. And uh, I think the next five years of next five to ten years of creativity from that generation are going to be absolutely fascinating because they're the first generation in a long time where life was shut down. Something you know was kind of imposed on them for their own safety or whatever way you want to think about it. But they they that generation from sort of fourteen to like eighteen who couldn't see their friends, didn't get the school grades or whatever because they couldn't do the test. I'm fascinated to, to, to hear what that generation come up with because, you know, not since really like maybe even, I don't know, Vietnam or something, there's not been such a big thing happen in to, to everybody, you know, not just a, a section of society, to everybody. So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting uh generation and i've I've read i've read somewhere youth actually mentioning that when things opened up again that he's he'd noticed there was some real sense of freedom and sort of a hedonistic kind of uh freedom going on in sort of some of the gigs he'd gone to in london so you know i think it's going to be an interesting time ahead for bands and artists yeah i think also as soon as people put uh gateposts and things they become instantly untrue don't they so you know, there's, there's more music getting made. I mean, part of the problem nowadays, there is more music getting made and it's harder for people to get heard just because of the sheer volume of stuff. I mean, it's great that there's a space for so many people to be creative. But um, I, I wonder if there should be uh, sort, sort of a... 
you know, it's great you could be creative, but do you have to share it with everybody? Because, <laughs> <laughs> but then is that true of all of us? You know, is some music made to be shared and some music made to be a, a personal thing? You know, like 30 years ago, people would have a guitar around the house and every now and then they'd sort of plonk around and then playing it because it made them feel good, which is great. But now is there a sense that they'll plonk around and play it and then release it and then try and get it all over the internet and get someone else to listen to it, which is fair enough, but it does make for an incredible volume yeah. of music to try, try and find the little nugget, nuggets in. Yeah, I agree with you there, actually. I mean, again, going back to what I was saying earlier about you and people at Nicky Wire, it, they, they, I was always, you know, as a kid, I grew up and through the kind of Britpop uh age you know so like you'd have big you know, obviously there's a lot of dross but you, the standout records like you know from like the prodigy or the verve or massive attack or just radiohead just to name a few they always felt like big statements you know so something that was imprinted to me as a writer was like you need to make some kind of statement whether it's a declaration of love or something more you know edgy or whatever like you know it sort of a half-baked idea is a half-baked idea there needs to be some i agree with you some sort of discipline that is too easy just to throw something out this is good if you're taking it seriously as an artist or songwriter i think a degree of sort of discipline for for your craft is is pretty important too i think yeah i think so yeah but does it have to even be a big statement a smaller statement could be big and and there's that there's a magic in the mundane as well so you get a whole raft of bands you know, which British bands are really good at this this thing about writing about walking down the street, going to the local shop and going home again becomes, yeah. you know, like sleep for mods, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. with, with yeah. a very angry edge. But, uh, yeah. but but the mundane, the mundanity of life exaggerated could become quite fascinating as well, can't it? I definitely. Think, yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, you get you hear that in the Beatles, don't you? Right the way through punk and, you know into oasis and things like that is like the everyday sort of british um britishness which is like you know sort of half crap and half brilliant mixed in in a soup of sort of nature and kind of city life and industrial and all sorts i think you're right there's this the everyday is beautiful too yeah i think so yeah and just the thing i mean the americans don't really do that for this kind of thing but we do and we do very well you know that that rainy day Grey thing in it, but finding it quite magical is is a very British trait, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things you hear Noel, Noel talk about a lot is like staring out the window thing, and you know, he, you can. I mean, thank God he did stare out the window in 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 the sort of rainy Manchester because it's you know those anthemic songs and just that connection to that, just being on your own in the bedroom is is you know fundamentally important. Let me ask you another it's question. It, it's, it's interesting actually because. You know, mm. the fact that people did do the magic of the mundane in Manchester in the post-punk period yeah. ends up take it, making the city completely not mundane at all. Yeah, so yeah. The, the city becomes really empowered by it and, and starts to look like Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, what an impact that place has had. It's just, you know, unbelievable, really. Well, I, said, man, I was thinking that, you know, you know that the Hacienda, which is not here anymore, yeah. the whole city looks like the Hacienda now. So it's become... <laughs> The post-industrial city became the post-punk city. But that, I mean, that's the thing is it's so important. People like characters like Tony Wilson and, you know, just, you know, just people's, uh, you know, I guess they're like the post-punk age of just just doing something, you know, putting something on, making something happen, signing a contract in blood, whatever it is. Just, just, I don't know, it just feels, you know, that was such an important period just to kind of, to how did, how you, I mean, you, you were with punk, that scene, you know, how did that impact you as a person and as a writer? 
Uh, well, it's really empowering, you know. It's, I mean, nobody I knew uh, had any idea that they could be in a band. I didn't know anybody could play guitar or it's, it's, there was nobody. I mean, there was a school choir and mm. there was no musical instruments and then punk came along and everyone was, everyone was trying to be in a band. It was quite amazing the impact it had. Yeah. Even though nobody had any idea of how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I mean, the first gig we played, we had all the machine heads in a row. We thought that's how you tuned up. We didn't realise there was notes or chords or anything. And we played a gig through amps. I've never played in amps before. Wow. And that was the naive, naivety of punk. You know, it wasn't like, I think on either side of punk, people would learn loads of cover versions and learn how to do it all properly. Yeah. But in the punk period, everyone just went and did it, you know, which is which is great. It's a beautiful idea, but it's also, it's not it's not a great way of trying to get a career in music because you never learn how to do it properly. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But I mean, th that doing it thing is, I was out running a showcase the other night, actually, and this, this girl, friend of mine who's... um. She's uh she's bipolar actually, bless her, and she's she was on a bit of a kind of uh hyper uh moment and came in and just sort of said to me, Can you play just just play guitar, just drone it, and I just need to do this poetry. And it was electric, you know, she just needed to come and do this thing to express something. And there were quite a few, you know, I feel like songwritery kind of craftsmen in the room who were a bit shocked and affronted by this thing just happening. But for me it was just exhilarating, you know, this connection to just do it, just let it come out and do it electric kind of uh sensations so yeah imagine... i i love that kind of thing it's really great isn't it it's powerful man really powerful and it was it's a remind it reminded me just to be like okay you might be you know you might think you're a writer or whatever but don't forget that kind of connection to just the spontaneity of the moment you know just that's that's equally powerful as the craftsmanship of it all well, all the moments are spontaneous aren't they so even when you write a song in the first place, it's a spontaneous moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's either you either do it in public or you do it not in public. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you know, I mean, the I've read a lot of interviews with you, and and you know, the um, Dark Matter, Dark Energy uh, album seems to have come from some kind of concept um, about the universe and your conversations with scientists, which is is really interesting to me. Um, how important is, uh, you know, you're a writer as well. So, I mean, how important is reading to you as a writer and as a musician and songwriter and, you know, the kind of outside information like science? I mean, it's, it's how important is that other kind of information to you as a writer? It's really important. I mean, it's, uh, I like ideas as well. And then, and also stretching the fabric's good as well, but it's, it's, it's the idea, I mean, it's the other way around what we talk about a minute ago, the magic of the mundane. There's also magic in the unimaginable as well. And, you know, the that you could actually compress the whole of the universe into one song is quite an interesting idea, really. Isn't it? Yeah, because, like, in a sense, the mundane itself is in the universe. The universe yeah. isn't this far out thing that's somewhere else. The universe is actually the corner shop. And that's in the yeah, universe yeah. as well. So it's it's just extrapolating it out a little further, isn't it? And I mean, those ideas, the universe is so mind-boggling as well. They are psychedelic in a sense because they really spin your head around, you know. Absolutely. I so mean, those are, the, those are the kind of ideas you sort of come up with when you're mundanely looking out a window, don't you? They, they, as a kid, you had little thoughts like that. It's just so interesting that you kind of, you know, went there with an album and it's just such a great album, you know, and 
but it, you know it's a big mission you know it's a big mission but you you succeeded in in sonically for me it was you know it was um a beautiful piece of work oh thanks i mean the, the idea of the music was actually trying to capture what your head felt like when one of these scientists was talking about the concept of the universe you know that that thing where your mind opens up and you think yeah i'm gonna go with this you know and and the ideas are so far out that they do give they must tap into the same part of your brain that psychedelics do i think yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any more weirder than the universe you know and the further you get towards the edges of knowledge or the edges of existence the weirder it gets you know there's no time doesn't exist it goes on forever the idea that there is no edge you know or the or the that, well there's no edge to space space is eternal and the universe just fills up a little bit of space you know and there's 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 a trillions and trillions of universes going on forever and that when you get to those kind of ideas and your head's going sort of spinning around that's a good place to be creativity creative yeah. creatively yeah. yeah 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 absolutely um you you gave a ted talk about reclaiming rock and roll which is uh, a brilliant um brilliant 15 minute or so uh youtube clip which anyone who's listened to this podcast you should go and check out because it's a real kind of um empowering thing to listen to actually in a bit of a kind of you know reminder of what of the power of rock and roll do you do you think that still exists that that kind of rock and roll still has a uh base in this kind of world we're living in at the moment yeah of course yeah i mean there's it's it, it didn't really have a place at the time you know i mean people have this idea the post-punk period that was you know the dominating culture but it wasn't at all you know the charts still full of like really big bands like they always are but there was a, there's always like a little space for all the people doing the other stuff you know it's the same then it's the same now you know in fact maybe now it's even better support because it's more yeah there's more different medias that you can actually exist in you know so it's yeah. it wasn't like you know when we were 18 it was a it was a dominant culture it was a fringe culture then and it's a fringe culture now yeah and every now and then some of the ideas cross into the mainstream or some of those yeah, thousands yeah. do cross cross into mainstream. I was thinking that the other day about Noel Gallagher in a sense. Was he actually, because he did that really weird playlist on um, Spotify full of like very left field post-punk stuff. And I was thinking, yeah. actually what he, Noel Gallagher, he's just, of course he's a songwriter, but he's actually a post-punk kid yeah. who's worked out how to make these huge anthems. So, yeah. So, so he, in a sense, he actually is from the underground. And no, nobody actually thinks this, but he actually probably is. He comes from that world, but he worked out to be the you know the biggest pop star of Britain in the eighties or whatever, nineties whatever. Um, but he's very much couched in, in the ideas of post punk, you know, in a in a very odd way, in the very fringes of post punk. <laughs> That's really interesting, that because you know Oasis were like obviously impacted when I was a kid and it's an interesting insight that because it felt like when you hear him talking interviews that like he was around you know around the house he and grew up in that environment and then just little things like him saying there's like watching a bowie tv uh series the sort of best of bowie on tv one day because it was skiving off work or whatever all those little things that make us who we are as artists are really important aren't they these little moments or little you know, I got a Bowie songbook when I was 15, couldn't play any of the chords, but basically that was my only way into kind of learning how to play guitar, really. And so I only learned like three of the songs, but it was like difficult, you know, and sometimes you'd have to kind of get round a chord because it was too difficult to play. So all, what I'm saying is these little things like 
you know, being a post-punk kid and then working out how to kind of turn that into an anthem is significant, even though you, you know, Oasis are a very commercial mainstream band, but I think you're right, actually, that he's got a kind of, all that was in there and it comes out. Yeah, there's, there's like an underground art ledge to it, but they managed to uh, avoid being trapped within it and yeah. found a way of, I mean, because there's also that thing where people are in the underground, they're, they're, they're terrified of the mainstream as well. Yeah. I mean, some people, some, quite a few people have crossed over into it over the years. Yeah. You know, um, but I have no idea how, how anybody would ever, I don't understand how you can do it, but some people worked out the codes, haven't they? Yeah. But, the, but, the, but they're still working within the ideas of that thing in the first place. You know, there's, there's still, there's still an artfulness about what they do as well as a commerciality as well. Definitely. Um, You've got a new book, Goth, The Art of Darkness, which um, is a great title, which I presume is from the Conrad book, Heart of Darkness. Um, When I was growing up, mate, there was a couple of, there's three goths in the year above me at school. And, you know, they would play school assemblies and sort of school gigs, really. And they, for me, it was like massively empowering to see these three guys dressed in black, in makeup, and and be completely different from everyone at school. And it gave me a sense of freedom and a sense of kind of, uh, you know, expressionism and that they were going to take on the other kids, you know. And for me, there's nothing more sort of brave and brilliant than seeing a teenage goth at a bus stop on a non-uniform day because it takes courage and takes commitment to um, a method of expressionism which I think is quite a British, uh, in a way, it's quite a Brit- part of British life, really, Goth. What what, what, inf- what inspired you to kind of write the book? Well, I mean, that's kind of a good summation of it. There's, I think what we're really good at in this country, we like dressing up, you know, so all the different youth cultures had a dress code as well, which, yeah. I mean, it does happen in other countries, but not to the extent that it does here at all, you know. Yeah. So, um, I, I, well, I, because I grew up through um, glam and into punk, and then goth was just something came out of punk. And there's quite a few different sort of subdivisions of punk, but yeah. each one became like this eternal scene around the rest of the world. So goth's huge around the whole world, yeah. And it it was just a continuation of punk, but taking some of the very interesting tenets of punk, it was, you know, it was you know it was freaky, it was interesting, there was a darkness to it, which is always fascinating, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and the, and the soundtrack was amazing as well. A lot of it was 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 an art rock, you know. So it was it was moving on from punk's three chord thing, which was really necessary at the time. But where do we go next? And this was like a and it kind of mixing with a lot of black music as well, you know, funk, dub, um, yeah. uh, disco is all mixed in there. So the dance floor was important, uh, but retaining uh, melancholy as well, um, and using a lot of new technology as well. So the sounds and the music was changing, but still retaining the intensity of punk as well so there's a lot of stuff that was quite interesting do you think it was do you you think it was a uk born scene the kind of goth sound and sort of first style i mean the first goth band gothic band was probably the doors Ah, and you know they're the first band to be called gothic right i think but the scene itself was born in england and the doors are an influence on it and like Bowie was an influence as well. But I think what was interesting about the, the Doors influence, it was sort of delayed because the Doors weren't that big in the UK until Apocalypse Now came out. Right. And that put them into the, the mainstream here. So there was sort of like a contemporary band in 1979 because of Apocalypse Now. Right. And then became like an influence on the whole scene things. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, it's, it's a kind of... Um... 
you know, I'm, I'm not that well versed in sort of the, you know, the goth kind of scene uh, in terms of like the, the music, but it's, you know, I'm really looking forward to read your book actually, because I, I love, I love the way you write and it's, it's kind of very interesting area to get into, you know, but do you think the, the, it seems to me a little bit like, you know, got the kind of goth imagery or style is, is kind of impacting pop artists now, you know, in, in a way. The, the, well, the goth. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, they're all different types of pop art, aren't they? So there's definitely, there's definitely an imagery and a style that's built around it. So there's an artfulness to it. So it's not like um, traditional pop art, is it? Or the, you know, sort of, which is great as well. But it's, it was a, it was it was different. It was a different kind of artfulness. One of like dark themes, you know. So and when I was writing the book, I mean, one of the things about it, it goes back centuries because in a way, it was every generation was dealing with his own blues. So yeah, whether nice. it was the romantic romantic poets in the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth centuries, or you know, uh, paintings in the Middle Ages, whatever. It's, people have always been fascinated by the dark side, but they just use a contemporary technology to embrace it. So in that period, in the post-punk period, because music was so central to the culture, that was yeah. what was uh, reflecting those kind of themes at the time. So now there's, there's quite a bit of goth culture exists on Instagram where people just put up pictures of themselves yeah. standing in the forest with no music. I mean, yeah. the music's not part of it, but, but the... Um, the but that's cool, you know. That's just a modern, contemporary way of using technology or, or the media to reflect the same themes. So it just, you know, you get like gothic games in gaming, you know. So it's, it's that that's kind of interesting as well, you know. And it's interesting reflection. The music isn't quite the central culture anymore. Well, what do you think it is about the darkness, which you know, as writers or artists, is is kind of uh, interesting to us? I think it's part of human nature, and especially, I mean, it's everywhere in the world, isn't it? But but in Europe because of the dampness and also in the Middle Ages, everything was covered in these big thick forests of wolves running around with them and flickering shadows. Yeah. It doesn't take long to see how that becomes part of your culture and your storytelling. You know, yeah. there's, there is a, there is a darkness at the heart of, of Western culture and, uh, and it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you can't have, you can't have the highs without the lows as well. You know, you need, you need to understand the darkness to get to the light, don't you? Definitely, man. It's, I mean, it's like you know, it's, you know, light is revealed by the dark. I don't, I don't think anybody can really know what lightness is unless they've sort of experienced some kind of dark, because you need the counterpoint, don't you? So it's, uh, you know, it's very important. Yeah, completely. I think it's it's all different facets of of existence, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's always to me, it was always just a kind of way into, I don't know, some sort of. Uh, Again, the un the unknown. You know, I think it's like a sort of a quest into the unknown a bit, really. But I was always grateful to those kids, you know, because they were just uh, pioneers, really, for me in my mind and my sort of shaping as a as an artist or songwriter was just the, the again. It was it, like you said, it was quite a punk thing to do to just cover yourself in head and black and go and play loads of punk music at a school assembly in front of five hundred kids. It's like that's that was a big statement to make, you know, as as a, as a goth band. Yeah, it's a sense of defiance in it, and, and it's, I mean, it's always, there's always been that clutch of kids under. <laughs> there has, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and you know, it's really yeah. great actually. That yeah, I mean, I'm sure the book is as as they always are that that you write are expansive and historical and forensic and interesting, and you know, but it's it's great to have a book which which um come out which kind of talks about that bunch of kids, you know, because it's 
it's it's important that, that they can kind of get a book about them. I think when when you announced it, I was like, brilliant! What a great thing to write about. That's a really interesting area to you know to go into. Yeah, I think so. I think it's good. It's documented, also celebration of that music because it's not Definitely. really celebrated enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a couple more questions, John. The, Louder than war, the name of the website and the blog and everything did that come from i've always wanted to ask you this did that come from fidel castro talking to the manics about their gig being louder than war when they played cuba yeah isn't that the greatest quote ever it is the great yeah (laughs) fantastic quote yeah brilliant um and lastly just your influences when you were starting out let me know who your sort of songwriting influences were at the time um, well, I guess it would be going through glam rock and into punk and into post-punk, and it was it's part of that mix of things. But you always have little journeys to the side as well, you know. And as time goes on, you just hear more and more stuff, don't you? So you just embrace more things. Because, I mean, when you're younger, because you've heard less stuff, you've just got a smaller palette yeah. to work from, haven't you? And then you try not to get trapped in it, but it's quite easy to get trapped in it. It's uh, In bands... If you, you know everyone's got guitars, you slowly turn into a, a normal rock band if you're not careful. <laughs> That's so true. Like, no one can help themselves, can't they? Everyone just goes into those roles. And it's sometimes you have to sort of cut across your own narrative. Yeah, that's so true, that is. And um, if you if you were to give any kind of advice to like, you know, sort of the 12-year-old, 13-year-old songwriters, emerging musicians or people, kids in bands, in terms of like, just the songwriting element of things or the kind of crafting of music rather than kind of, you know, seeing it as a career or steps to how to get played on radio in terms of kind of the the creation and creativity, what kind of advice would you give to those kids that are kind of wanting to start a band now and, and sort of feel like music's their life? Uh, Always follow your instinct. You kind of know when it's right or wrong, Um, but but you always persuade yourself well, that'll do. No, that won't do. You know it's wrong or you know it's right. You just know. So trust that. That's really important. And also, um, um, every idea is valid. And also, uh, graft at your craft as well. You know, those days when nothing's coming, just keep going. You'll find something. Awesome, man. That's really great. And one final question, which I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, which is a difficult uh, question to answer and will change from day to day. But if you could have written any song in the history of songwriting here today, what what, what song would you have liked to have written? I'm still working on it. Oh, that's the best answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best answer. Yeah, that's what you would expect. Oh, that's brilliant. John, thank you for your time today, mate. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, where can people find you and where can people order a copy of your new book, The Art of Darkness? Uh, well, if it goes to the Membranes Bandcamp, there's a link on there to buy the book. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, John. I really appreciate speaking with you, mate. All right, see you.